Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 109. A proud member of the Dumbass Media Network. I'm your host, Brian. Joining me this evening, Ian. Hey! Terry. Howdy. And Sean, or Mac. Which one are you? Mac. Okay, Mac. I answer to either. And of course, the dumbass himself. Touching myself for science. Nice. Sweet. (laughs) How is everybody doing this evening? Doing alright! Yeah? Yep. I had a lot of fun last weekend. Went to my first store fest in over 10 years, and that was a blast. We ended up, me and my youngest son, because the rest of the family was busy, so it was just me and him. But we ended up doing the Dr. Horrible sing-along blog Shadowcast, and we were actually in it. He played um, Captain Hammer, and I was just an extra doing whatever parts were needed. Oh, well, I bet he was, that was thrilled that he got to do Oh, he loved it, and he, he was great at it. He, he knows the... Uh, um, this is your younger son playing Captain Hammer. Yes. Yep. <laughs> you can picture that. There were a um, couple lines that we weren't sure how... I wasn't sure how well the audience would take it since they were a bit adult, but the, the audience laughed at it, so it was good. I'm just thinking, you know, just ch- simply in terms of the fact that He's not large. No, that's one of the things that kind of played up to it quite a few times. Yeah. Hey, but I you did know. catch him praying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> that was because the wheel told him to. Well, yeah, but he did it. The wheel told him to pray, and he did it. <laughs> After I encouraged him, right? But, you know, still. <laughs> well, I uh, had a bit of interesting luck. Target broke the street date uh, eight days early on some of the Age of Extinction figures. Mm. Wow. Okay, don't tell me. Hmm? My older son's winning those. These are the leader class ones, so. Okay. Now, we saw, we were at um, Trade Smart, Mother's Day shopping. Uh, it, it's actually a perfect store for my family. And he saw the Age of Extinction um, Slug. Okay. Slugger Slug. I think, yeah, Slug, the Triceratops one. And yep. he was like, I want that, I want that. I'm like, no, 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 we'll hold off. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be higher priced to trade for. All right. Hey, so, Ian, you have a correction from last podcast? Okay, Um. so last um, podcast, two weeks ago, I was talking about the um, history of the Boy Scouts of America. And I did mess up the name. I actually, when Mac made the remark about um, not being the same Colin Powell, it kind of hit me. It's like, wait a minute, is that the right one? But so the, the name I was thinking of was actually Baden Powell. But he's the founder of Scouts in general. So okay. the story I said was accurate, except for I had the names wrong. It's actually, um, it was a publisher named W.D. Boyce, who actually is um, the gentleman who brought Boy Scouts from England over to the United States. Okay. So and the names changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> no, the names were changed because I had a brain fart and <laughs> wasn't quite... I was trying to remember the story and names jumping around. Once more, you know, the, the whole idea that we are not the best um, witnesses... Because our memory plays tricks on us and screws around with us at times. So and, and after doing it, it I, I felt like I had messed up on the names. I wanted to check, and I found out, oh, I was a bit more off okay. than I thought. So as always, we like to correct ourselves here on the Amateur Skeptics Podcast when we realize we screwed up. And hey. I will admit, I screwed up. So just one of those things, I want to make sure I corrected myself, because I'm sure um, people listening to the last podcast will be, hey, wait a minute, they screwed up, they screwed up. So... Yes. Well, I, we'll probably get a few messages on it, but I'm aware of the screw-up, and I've corrected myself. Okay. Amateur Skeptics, now with autocorrect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time to move on to Ian and Terry's Masturbation Moment. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. With all the stories brought to us by Brian. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, our first story is May is for Masturbation. Apparently it's, uh, yeah, May is Masturbation Month, uh, which was just decided by some guys, but seems like a pretty good idea to me. (laughs) (laughs) I know the story's actually decent, because it was after What's-Her-Name got um, booted out of being the Surgeon General because he was saying that masturbation is a healthy thing. And so the reply was, hey, let's have a Masturbation Month. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And apparently people took this as, uh, they, they misunderstood it to say that, 
um, encouraging teaching kids to masturbate, which would be a really strange class. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, is it maybe that would be a strange class? But on the other hand, I mean, I, I, how many kids would actually skip it? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. Hey, come to math class, and at the end, we're going to teach you to masturbate. All right, so go to your computer. Um, whatever your fetish is for today, make sure you look at that porn. Okay, pull your curtains closed around you. Pull your curtains closed. Wait, why are you, what are you wait? What's the curtain about? for? <laughs> you will be graded based on technique. <laughs> That's right. And remember, this isn't about speed. It's about the journey. <laughs> about it. journey. There will also be a competition for distance for the guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I think you've got an axe to clean that one up. <laughs> now, there was also uh, some discussion about um, people who, the way people think about uh, masturbation versus um, sex itself and uh, how they explore, are willing to explore that or not, whether they think um, that uh, sex is only for your lifelong partner. Uh, or and to uh, create uh, children. Uh, um, I'm gonna. I'm going to risk crossing over into the area of too much information here, uh, because I believe in talking openly and without embarrassment about these kinds of things. Uh, so let me just say that I actually prefer masturbation porn to intercourse porn. Seeing another guy naked is kind of a turnoff. Um, I will. <laughs> I want to see more porn where masturbation takes center stage and is portrayed isn't portrayed as somehow a lesser sexual act. Uh, I think too many a good masturbation scene is ruined by the girl being caught by some guy who proceeds to take advantage of the situation. Because, of course, if the girl is masturbating, it must mean that she's desperate and lonely and would be willing to jump on any penis that is presented to her because <laughs> that's what she really needs at that moment, right? Implication. Wow. It is all just fantasy. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I kind of want to take. I, I kind of want to take issue with the term "lifelong partner." I don't think there is such a thing. I think that is a. I think that is actually a fantasy. You know what? We can get to that um, actually in an upcoming article. So, so that I mean, that's a that that's an interesting discussion to have too, right? Yep. Or in another episode, there's a book coming out, out called "Sex in Captivity" or something like that that deals with that issue. Albeit, I will say, I don't think that there's any one right answer to that. My favorite thing from the article is this title of this um, this manual from 1875. Oh, Nanya, or the heinous sin of self-pollution and all its frightful consequences in both sexes considered, with spiritual and physical advice to those who have already injured themselves by this abominable practice. I love that, <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out you know, how badly you'd have to mess it up to injure yourself. What's the slant on that one? That seems uh, <laughs> right. seems neutral, doesn't it? You don't even need to read the manual at that point. <laughs> it just says that don't do it on every page. Do not do this. Do not do this. Yeah, you know that that's I mean such a religious motivated you know you know the idea that this is dirty is you know it it, it goes right back to you know control. Yeah, well, there's a lot of the idea that actually enjoying sex is the dirty part. Right. And, you know, that's what masturbation is, you know, making itself have pleasure. It's like, no, 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 sex is purely for copulation. It's like, mm, actually, it's kind of fun to not worry about that part of it. Right. You having a bad day? Masturbate. Having a good well, day? Masturbate. masturbate. It is messy and smelly, so in that way, I guess it's dirty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there is some mess involved, but it's easily cleaned up with some soap and water. That's true. Or, yes. Yeah. Or you could change your location to the shower. Say. <laughs> and use lube. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but from this article, I found this this awesome article of um. So the, these uh three women band members singing a song while they're being masturbated. And I don't know if they were masturbating themselves or if somebody was I doing... I have the impression that if you watch the arm some, I think they were um, taking yeah, care of themselves. They might be... Yeah, and so and so they're singing the song while masturbating. <laughs> with, with vibrators, maybe, huh? With, yeah, Maybe's... with vibrators. You can yeah, hear the hum in the like background. Now, this reminded me a lot of the one uh, back when we did um, porn or art. We had the women reading and being masturbated 
you know, being um, stimulated while they were reading them having orgasms while trying to read the, yeah, they the make... book. I, I think there must have been more than a, a casual uh, inspiration be, uh, behind that because it, the whole feel of it, like the ba- black background and the woman like, yeah. highlighted in front, it's very, very reminiscent. Yeah, well, they make yeah. reference to it in here. I mean, that that's where the idea was inspired from, I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. I so, thought it was so cool. I, oh, thought yeah, it was, right there. I just thought it was gorgeous. I thought yeah. it was so cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun to watch. But and I like that they say um, we dare to watch this and try not to crack a smile because because it, it is funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it, 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 yeah, I thought it was cool. Uh, but this last article that I put in here, I found masturbation the secret to long life, and uh, so um, the uh, woman they're talking about is Betty Dobson, and she was in the 70s so was teaching you know masturbation classes so to, to you know go back to your you know, our, our masturbation discussion she was actually doing exactly that and it sounds to me reading the article like it was primarily teaching women to masturbate and 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 teaching people that it was it was okay to touch themselves and yeah. giving them permission to do so well if that's really a picture of her from 2010 and she's now 85 she does not look like she's in her 80s so masturbation no, is working looks like she's I, I would say maybe 45 yeah so there, there could be a thing masturbation keeping you young because she definitely looked like she's much younger yeah so just recently somebody encouraged her to start teaching her classes again so she's so she has been doing that so it's a week-long seminar and um, it uh, what a thousand bucks, thousand two hundred dollars for for the week for for this program. Yeah, I I find this stuff. I think it's empowering. Um, you know, women like this who who are out there saying, "Hey, listen, that this is okay. <laughs> we'll show you how to do it. We'll give you permission to do it." I think that this kind of stuff is is great because there is so much in our society people telling other people that they shouldn't do this. That it's nice to have you know some counter voices, and she's right. certainly one of them. Oh yeah. Um, but she um, says here she does not believe in monogamy. Uh, <clears throat> you get married, you give up sex, pretty much. Count on it. Okay, I think that one we can we can talk about this being a societal thing because it's not always true. Right. I I don't necessarily dis I don't necessarily disbelieve in monogamy. I just don't think that there's such a thing as a life of mate anymore. I think that that is a fiction concocted by. You know, it was concocted at a time when "Till Death Do You Part" was five years. Have you read the um, book "Sex at Dawn"? I've not. I've not read it, but you've talked about it. Before. Go read that book. You're gonna love it because it's because it's it's saying what you're talking about right now. That monogamy. I mean, basically, it it was it was imposed on us. Um, yeah. You know, when we became an agrarian society. You know, when the world was created. I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that. There's no such thing as that anymore because there are people who who do stay with each other for for their life, the rest of their lives, right? Uh, yeah, and so certainly that. Okay, it, it's rare though. Now it's rare. It's not rare days. though. No, 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 no. It's still fifty percent. Is it Dan Savage who said that um, if you're with someone for like fifteen years and you cheat once, you're pretty good at monogamy? Right, pointing out he, that he might have said that, but I mean, he also pointed out that the that the the, the biggest problem with monogamy is is dick, right? That I mean, of course, you know, um, women are less likely to cheat, men are more likely to cheat statistically. Right, but how much of that is? <clears throat> I would argue that some of that is cultural. Ah, uh, sure. Right, but it's I, not I think that women don't want to cheat. I, I think to to Max's point, um, that and 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 also to you know. Um, to dumbasses is that once again this is this is an individual thing there are there are going to be people that that can stay together with somebody for for their whole life and have good sex and there are other people who are going to want to stay with somebody for a certain amount of years and and then go find go find somebody else perhaps and then there's other people that are going to be interested in polygamy there i think that the the biggest scam here is that there that there's only one choice Right. There was a skeptic article a few weeks ago where Elise um, was talking about like guides to parents having sex when you're a parent kind of thing. And it was all really practical stuff. And then, I mean, it was all very practical. But the one that caught my eye was one where she she was saying, you know, if, if it works in your relationship to agree to, you know, have, have be open sometimes, then that's cool, too. Sometimes you need to get your freak on with someone else. Right. I don't know. Would you would would you guys agree with 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 that, that, you know, that. There are oh, yeah, many everybody ways to do has it? a different uh, set of values. They have different things that yeah. they're looking for. If if a certain way of doing things works for some people and not for others, I'm perfectly fine with that as long as it as, as long as they're happy with it. 
Right. And everybody's had – in the relationship has had an open conversation right. and, about it. Yeah. As long, as long as everybody's on the same page, I'm okay. okay. I, I'm perfectly happy with that. Polygamy, whatever. Sure. Well, and, and you know, <clears throat> I mean my wife and I have been together 15 years now, and the sex has not stopped. Yeah, that's why you have three kids. <laughs> right, and we're trying for more. Now, now you mean you've been, you've been having sex the entire time? Exactly. For 15, For 15 years, we just haven't stopped. I mean, I take breaks once in a while to do this podcast, but other than that, man, it's, it's on. No, I t- <laughs> no, but what I'm, but my, my hey, don't point go, is, don't back off on that. Go yeah, with it. Yeah, go with it. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but it, but it hasn't, you know, it's like, but her statement that getting married means pretty much giving up sex count on it. I think that that's bullshit. I think it's a bullshit thing to say. Maybe yeah. for her. Yeah, I agree. You know, and there, the next one, she's talked about how she was with a, um, with a, with somebody for 10 years. Um, she was training him. And then, uh, you know, after ten years, you know, she gave him up. <laughs> I think we've also got to uh, got to put in here that for some couples, sex becomes uh, much less important uh, after a while, and they don't, do, and they and they might not even miss it, and that's okay. Yeah, sure, that that that's okay too. But I think that, the, but there we run into a problem when one partner's okay with it and the other is not, and they're not communicating it. So it all comes back to communication once again. Yeah. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> Well, um, in the past, you know, when you didn't have, you had one room house, basically, somehow the married couple still had, you know, a good dozen kids or so. And, you know, somehow there had to be sex going on. Sure. And, of course, back then it probably wasn't as hidden as it is nowadays because you couldn't really hide it. I mean, in a one-bedroom house, guess what? The kids are going to be aware their parents are getting it on. Well, actually, there was no sex between husband and wife during the Greek classical era. All the children that were born, that was all Zeus. Oh, <laughs> that's actually believable. <laughs> Back up from that, Mikey. And... Okay, case. Yeah. Okay. Seems like if I move just a little bit. It's picking up good, so step back from it. As an interesting side note to that, Zeus's thunderbolts, um, when they explode, they actually make a bow chicka wow wow sound. that's where it comes from you know yeah (laughs) all right terry who are our bigots of the week we only have one i was was, i let me click over i was just reading that her trainee was 20 something when she was in her 70s rock on yeah hold on yeah absolutely yeah um so i want to talk about the supreme court of the united states that uh just ruled what was it last week five to four that sectarian prayers can be presented at official government meetings without running afoul of the constitution's establishment clause which is fucking bullshit. I don't know how the hell they arrived at this decision. Well, part of the arguments, part of one of the, um, one of the, like, so they had, there was three, um, presentations for arguments here. And so there was the, the one by, uh, Judge Roberts, which is, you know, the, the final. There was the dissenting argument, but, but that wasn't good enough for, for the other, um, conservative justices. They also, they had to say, wait a second, this doesn't go far enough. And, uh, and, they basically want to say that um, that that applies to the federal court, but not the local, but not the local government. Not the government. states. So the yeah, states the have state. to figure this out for Bullshit. themselves. Bullshit. Right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's so terrible. What could possibly go wrong, right? Nobody's going to ever abuse this. Well, like and they have been abusing it all the fuck along at every fucking public meeting. Exactly, and and the bent of this is is Christian, right? I, and oh, yeah. you know, if we want to bend this towards Muslim, there's going to be a problem. Well, the court is split along religious lines. I think yeah. the outlier is Sotomayor, who went with the dissent. The uh, otherwise, it's Jews and Christians. Yeah, it's just so it's just so appalling, and it's just going to be spectacular to watch it play out. And yeah, what if a Muslim wants to give a prayer? People are going to lose their shit over that. Yeah, when they and they and they have to let them, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's the whole well, thing about this. That's actually what they said there is that as long as they do not discriminate among those seeking to present a prayer. I I honestly reading this I don't find the Supreme Court on this to be bigoted. Oh, well, okay. uh, that's not the way I read it. I mean, the problem. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure bigoted would be the word. Maybe I do not. kind of have uh, uh, some sympathy for the decision that. Uh, I, I think uh, the decision that uh, it shouldn't discriminate based on religious grounds. I, I think that. I, I, I'd like to see it even more generic than that. That, uh, you know, allow people, you know, just, no matter what, whether they're atheist or whatever, to just come in and speak, say a few words of uh, maybe encouragement to or 
just uh, some sort of general um, uh, idea, you know, try try to encourage them to do something before before the meeting or whatever, or it could be a prayer or whatever. Well, well, why not just start the that. start the stupid meeting without all that? Right, but why the, not just yeah, begin yeah, the yeah. meeting? But the, you also read in the article it talked about how they're doing it at things beyond actual meetings. They're doing it like just um, simple. Uh, I'm trying to think of where it was. D- but they talk about how it's you know people is going for zoning applications and stuff, and it's like wait a minute, you don't need to do a whole big ceremony if people are just trying to get something approved like that. Well, like but, bid opening yeah, and no, stuff, Lord ridiculous. God. Yeah, but Lord- well, that's the that's the other thing. I mean, like I said, I had some I have some sympathy for that view, but then I think about it, and it's like the idea of like doing these kinds of religious blessings or whatever outside of a, a religious institution seems kind of creepy. Imagine if you're going into a board meeting or something, and they uh, they asked to start it with a prayer. Yeah. Right. Well, but here's a, here's what um, – and bigoted isn't the right answer. It's just it's just a violation of our constitution. These guys – they did not follow what, what what our constitutional principles are, and that's what Justice uh, Elaine Kagan said uh, in the New York Times. The constitution, by allowing the uh, – what did she say? Basically, she indicated that you know that it's it's a, it doesn't follow our constitution. Um, it opens the door to bigotry in practice, though I think, which is why I put it in the bigot section. Yeah. Well, there was a um, few years back, I remember reading something about how you know one county was doing something like that, and this one guy kept trying to get in other religions and kept being overruled, and it took him forever to get like a Hindu priest finally in. And it was a lot of work for that because everyone else kept fighting it. And it's like, well, no, if we're going to do it right and you want to be about religious freedom, then let's give every religion a chance to come and do their prayer beforehand. You know, give what, them a I what I don't understand is why these gods, whoever, whatever gods they are, cannot hear your prayer if you give it in private like 10 minutes yeah. before the meeting. Yeah. Just well, stop alone. Same thing with school prayer. I've, you know, Why does your kid need to pray on my kid's time? Why can't you pray ahead of time if it's a big deal to you? Take the you know five ten minutes from your family's time before they come into the school building and do the prayer. If it's if it's important to you, make the time for it. You don't need to take time for my kids learning. That that's one thing that always gets me too because when they say that they try to portray it um, as that kids are not allowed to pray in school is what they like to say. Okay, but nope. this this does still does not affect schools, right? right. So this is well, completely different. Well, even though, like, in my high school, there was a prayer group. They, during lunch, got together, went outside, and would pray. No one thought out of it. No one told them no. No one said anything. We had no problem with it. They got together themselves. They prayed on their own time as a group that you know, wanted to pray together. No one told, you know, it didn't affect us. It didn't mess with our time. We could do what we wanted to, and it worked out great. Yeah, we know that this has nothing to do with uh, the article, Brian. We were, we were just drawing okay, analogies. Sure. But yeah, it's still the same thing. If, if, if these people feel they need to pray, do it ahead of time, something like that. It, you know, it, it, it should not interfere with the running of the government, and it kind of does in this case. Well, it doesn't. I mean, that's the question. That's what that's what their claim is that it doesn't interfere because this is happening prior to to what to whatever the governing body is going to be doing, and and it's and they make it, they explicitly say that they can't govern that way that so they can have that prayer before it. But but the but my fear is, of course, that creeps in. Yeah, well, if if the prayer is done as part of the ritual in order to get business started, that interferes. Basically, to run our government, there should be no basic ritual needed to get to the you know the actual business part of it. You come in, if introductions need to be made, that's about all I can think of. But in Joe's like, okay, are we ready to get down to business? Putting the prime does interfere with them getting down to business. It's just public showmanship is all yeah. it is, too. It's just so much bullshit. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I don't agree with it. Um, and I and but going through what you know both sides here, I I I really think that uh, Elaine K Kagan did it. Um, I, I I liked her dissenting opinion, mm-hmm. so I think that was worth a read. The whole thing is worth a read to, to see what these people are saying. Um, but ultimately, I don't think that they that um that this really is on the basis of our constitution. I think that they violate our constitution mm-hmm. by this ruling. And they shift the burden now to the states to have to suss this out. Too. Well, and it's already been a problem, you know, people complaining for council meetings and stuff like that. And these are the kinds of things that are going to the Supreme Court. It's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. All right. 
we ready for anti-vax? Uh, I and think, then... <laughs> aren't we always ready for anti-vax? So, in more bullshit, um, <laughs> Alicia Silverstone has released a parenting book in which, among other things, she promotes anti-vaccination nonsense. Uh, here's her clueless quote from the article we link. Uh, while, there's, while there's not been a conclusive study of the negative effects of such rigorous one-size-fits-all shoot-em-up vaccination schedule, there is increasing anecdotal evidence from doctors who have gotten distressed phone calls from parents claiming that their child was never the same after receiving a vaccine. And I personally have friends whose babies were drastically affected in this way. So that's her take on vaccination. She's a vaccine denier. Her son is pure and uh, has, you know, that hasn't ever taken medicine and stuff. And he's very healthy. So there you go. Um, She's so full of shit. Yeah. But, I mean, my kids um, didn't like shots. And, you know, after getting the um, vaccinations, they were not happy and kind of grumpy. But I think that happens. It's not a very good, fun experience. And even explaining to my kids, like, this is good for you. You just got to take it. What, um, you know, they would... It's weird how they go because they'd often forget about last time, I guess. But they'd sit still and take the first shot, and then suddenly, ow, oh, that hurt, and you suddenly have a problem. And they were not happy for the rest of the day. No, I, I agree. It's completely barbaric. Like, you have to hold an infant down <laughs> yeah. and let someone – I mean, it's terrible to have to do this as a parent. I agree. Yeah, but, you know, you know it's for, for the best. And so there's a level there where I understand kind of where they're coming from, except for the fact I don't, I highly doubt their babies were drastically affected. They were upset in the aftermath of it, I'm sure. Well, but the drastic effects is autism. (laughs) Right, which has been thoroughly debunked. That autism claim from Wakefield has been completely debunked. And as Brian posted, there's newer research um, pushing the the age of onset earlier and earlier. Well, here's the thing is that – so Alicia Alicia Silverstone has been pushing nonsense for a while now. This is is just the latest – uh, you know, I mean, her whole vegan stance. You know, she did all that. She did that commercial that that we talked about um, because she became a vegan, and so and and she's promoting the whole mommy sense stuff that Jenny McCarthy is. You know, yeah. And regarding that mommy yeah. sense stuff too, uh, does it? Um, it it seems to me like this is kind of an anti-feminism type of stance, at, at least the way I see it, hmm. because uh, the 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 whole idea um, of like the whole gendered uh thing is that you know like women have a certain sphere and they they have this very special instinct that makes them like the superior in the home and that's their sphere their domain that they they have this magical instinct that allows them to do these kind of things so much better and it seems like this whole mommy sense kind of thing is really buying into that yeah Yeah, absolutely I think point. they only get the mommy sense if they've been bitten by a radioactive mother. Well, I know that, you know, I, I've seen so, the movie, and I know that the, vegans get special powers, but if you mess up three times, you lose them, and I think that she's lost them. Yeah. yeah, and it turns out that gelato is actually not a vegan treat. Um, but, you know, we've got such a cult of celebrity in this country. Well, that's a problem. Where we, where we have this, uh, so many people have this natural inclination that if somebody who's famous says something, well, gosh, they must be smart because they're famous. Yeah. Well, my mom, I, the, reading this, there's one quote that really upset me, and that's from, from the doctor, who apparently is also, not only Silverstone's doctor, but also McCarthy's doctor, um, who says, I think that the public health benefits of vaccinating are grossly overstated. I think that if we spent as much time telling people to breastfeed and to quit eating cheese and ice cream, we'd save more lives than we save with the polo vaccine. So this doctor has been roundly discredited on uh, both science-based medicine and the Respectful Insolence website. Well, that that line alone, I mean, you're saying the polo vaccine is actually, has not saved all the lives that we pretty much know it's been saved since polio has been practically wiped out thanks to the vaccine compared to eating cheese and ice cream? What? Well, I I mean, he's at the top of this pyramid scheme of nonsense. Yeah, I mean, he he's he's uh, a promoter. Know, I, I'd say let's 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 go for it. Let's wipe out all vaccines. We'll let uh, you know dogs with rabies and distemper wander the streets and uh, see how that works out. Bring back smallpox. Bring back smallpox. You know, it's another one of those things where they they think people want to believe that 
Um, the way that basically certain things, lifestyle choices you can make are like magic that they'll, they'll make it so that, I mean, I, I was reading this and she was talking about how, oh, uh, his, his, uh, her son's immune system is so darn healthy. He almost never gets sick. And when he does, it's a, uh, it's really mild and it's like, you, you can't supercharge your immune system. It, it doesn't work that way. He's also uh, never been to school yet. How old is right? he? It's not like he goes to a daycare. How, how old is her kid? He's three. He's three? So not yeah. even, so she's not even sending him to preschool and stuff yet. Not yet, yeah. no. And it's not like he goes to daycare. I mean, yeah. I, she may have a nanny or something, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think there's, there are some cultural she's issues. She's probably got him in a plastic hamster <laughs> Exactly, right? <laughs> I think there are some cultural issues that feed into this, and I just wanted to hit on that um, for a second. I linked to... Um, a deep dive that I did on this a while ago. Um, so I think that uh, some of this has to do with social status, like you were saying, the cult of celebrity, the feminism thing, like self-ascribing status, this special sphere of influence. Um, many women who can't afford to stay home with their kids give up careers to do so. And that's, I think we see some of this anti-vax stuff in more affluent, educated circles, you know, like celebrity circles. Um, larger society undervalues stay-home moms as well as teachers and other childcare workers and bright, educated women find themselves isolated from prestige. Um, and they have to seek status and validation from other members of the stay-home mommy community. And this requires separating themselves in some way from the unwashed masses. Um, so the subculture fosters increasing intensity, um, things that began as reasonable, like like maybe you delay a vaccine if your kid is sick, or maybe you uh, don't get the chicken box vaccine today because you're out of town or whatever. Um, so you alter the schedule, and then pretty soon you're treating it as kind of an a la carte menu. And then the higher status women's are the moms are the ones who are um, rejecting vaccines entirely, or you know, going from breastfeeding is good to only breastfeeding kindergartners is the best. And so those are the higher status moms. I mean, you're almost equating this to them being at home and needing something to do. It's not needing something to do. It's needing social status. Needing social mm -hmm. status. Yeah. So, you know, this, so, the soaps are off the air. And well, but still, I mean, show. that's that, that's a, I mean, I don't know. The the other problem I have is, you know, she's promoting this whole clean environment stuff, right? And and we know that it's actually better to to train your immune system and to be to, and to get these things. If her son is not getting sick at all and not hanging out with friends and, and catching these things, the immune system is not getting getting trained. So, yes, yeah, yeah. she's keeping him home. So she's keeping him clean and isolated. If something does happen to him, it's going to be catastrophic. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, he'll go to school and, and he'll catch up and relatively quickly, he'll right? Be, yeah, like he can, of course he's going to be sick. You know, it's a, it's good. For, it's actually good for your kid to get sick. The, you know, the immune system needs that training. Well, and you can't supercharge your immune system because then you have an autoimmune disorder. You can't boost it. I mean, that's my problem. I have a boosted immune system. That's right. what my allergies are, right? right. I mean, uh, that, me too. I've got psoriasis. There you go. Boosted. Yeah. So we, you don't want to boost it. You want to train it to, you know, to, to take care of these kinds of things, to, you know, to know how to deal with a cold, to know how to, you know, to take care of itself. But right. if you don't ever expose it, it cannot become, become trained. A good analogy uh, is like uh, you not training your immune system is like never running the updates on your antivirus software. Yeah, that's a bad thing. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing because every time you get those updates, you're you're training it to deal with some other you know pattern. I, you know, I wonder how much of this whole thing with Alicia Silverstone coming out with this is how much of this is the fact that she hasn't done a movie in like since Batman and Robin. Back to the social status argument that I'm trying to make. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. And also, I, th I think more than social status too, it's also a factor of um, being a, I think being a parent is an incredibly, um, you know, it, it's always worrying uh, on you about uh, your children and everything. And so you got to make these decisions and there's a lot of stuff out there. People like to, uh, they, they want like knowledge that they can, uh, with a high degree, uh, they, they want to think that they can with a high degree of uh, accuracy say, okay, we should do this, not that, and make sure this will make sure that uh, we get, that the kid is healthy and happy and everything. And a lot of it is basically really uh, more superstition than fact. Sure, but that's it's, trying to, it's just trying to have control, like control all the variables so that you can have the outcome that you hope for. Well, the yeah, other that, thing I think, is, that, uh, I think that's what a lot of alternative health is about, you know, trying to have control over your health, control that you can't really have over your health. Yeah. And you know what? Parents are going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to make a whole lot of mistakes. It is such a tough job and it cannot be done perfectly. And I think that it, at some point you have to sit back and, and accept that, you know, that you're mistake prone. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's no one like just like marriage and monogamy and all that. There's no one true way that works for everyone. <laughs> right. Every exactly. I don't know. Dumbass, you want to as a person with no kids, you want to chime in and tell us how we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you're you're all wrong. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Oh, don't, don't I don't you, need that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that, that's a pet peeve of mine is all these people telling me how you know about now, raising now, kids. Let me tell that you how you any. should raise your kids. There you go. Exactly. Right. It's like, <laughs> exactly. That's my pet peeve right there. <laughs> On a completely unrelated note, and going back to the whole uh, teaching masturbation in schools and whatnot, if you manage to sleep with the teacher, don't boast about it if you were homeschooled. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> uh, all right. So I found um, – the most recent um, research on autism is finding brain abnormalities that start in the womb as early as I think the second trimester when the brain starts to develop. Um, and, of course, this is difficult to do because there aren't enough um, autistic brains being donated to science to look for these abnormalities. But um, in um, – what is it? 10 of 11 uh, – 10 out of 11 – uh, brains of children with autism, they found uh, the same abnormality um, in these speech centers and uh, what it, it, I forget which center it is. And they compared that to the same amount of, um, of brains of healthy, um, healthy brains. And, and so they could see that there was no abnormalities. So they are seeing this, these changes happening in the brain in the womb. And one of the things that, you know, some people with autism will report is that their child gets better, which makes sense because of the plasticity of the brain. The brain re will rewire around some of these damaged pieces. Um, and so, of course, th this research is ongoing, but at least even as small as these sample sizes are right now, and they talk about the problems with the research. They're not coming out and saying that, you know, this is we, – we got it. We're just saying that they're just starting to see a trend toward this. They need a lot more data and, before they can really start to isolate it. But Ryan, I don't know if we want to say damaged pieces. I think we want to say different pieces. No, I want to say damaged. Did you read the article? They're actually showing areas of the brain where there are clusters of cells that that are not forming properly. My point is that uh, I, I think that a lot of individuals who are different in ways in things such as autism really don't want to think of themselves as necessarily damaged so much as they are different. So is the word we use neurotypical and what's the – What's the antonym of that? Neuroatypical? Neuroatypical. That sounds better. Yes. Yeah, so these differently abled brains. Now, now you're just being nasty. Well, but here's the problem is that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to look at two different brains and, and one of them, one of them is normal and one of them is abnormal. And, and, and you want to get politically correct about it. Mm, yeah. I want to respect. I want to respect people's. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to talk about a brain abnormality. Okay, but let's not let's not look at let's not uh, disrespect the fact also that brain abnormalities are for a large reason why we're here and talking on this right now. There are brain abnormalities that are beneficial, and there are brain abnormalities that are not. Well, give me your interpretation of the article then. I've already said my piece. So my question is, how much science? Um, about the origins of autism having nothing to do with vaccinations is going to convince these ideologues that vaccines are, you know, mostly safe and effective. Oh, it doesn't matter. We, we, we've seen that. that They aren't concerned with the actual science. They like the pseudoscience that tells them what they want to believe. I mean, also, this research wouldn't uh, completely discount that because um, there, there is some debate as to uh, how to um, how to actually interpret these results. And, you know, it could be that uh, these uh, abnormalities are um, just uh, are don't account for all of the autism spectrum since it uh, doesn't seem autism doesn't seem to be exactly just one thing. Well, and that's one of the, sure. the points about the article. Um is that 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 is one of the weaknesses in the article that they brought up themselves, right? So they're aware of of of, of that weakness in the study. It isn't like they're um they're, they're not um, downplaying that at all. They they want more samples to, or to look at this, but but ten out of eleven all had similar um, abnormalities. So which is I mean which is is really interesting. Um, 
because of where it's happening, depending on the places where it's happening, you can have different severities. And depending on how much of this abnormality you have will we'll, we'll also manifest a different symptom as well. Um, but one of the problems is, is that one of the, one of the researchers point out is that we, we know that the, that, that there's a whole lot of genes involved in, um, in autism spectrum disorder. And so for us to be seeing the same abnormality all the time is highly unlikely. And so that is one of the flaws in the research. We just don't have enough, um, enough data yet. Right. It could be coincidental that 10 showed that same. A absolutely. Yeah. It just, it could just be simply the, uh, the 10 that we've got. Mm -hmm. Um, until we have more autistic brains to look at, we, we, we can't answer that question, but it's at least interesting and, and at least that there's some progression in trying to identify where this is coming from, you know, as opposed to just making something up right there. This is this is actual data. We actually have something we can look and say, hey, this is interesting. At least it points towards this, right? At least this is a, a path to follow. Right. right. And the crowd goes silent. Yeah. Well. Yes. Sounds like we'd move on. I think so. Time to move on. I'm sorry. I was just watching that video of the masturbating, uh, seeing women. <laughs> uh, I sent a, a link um, off. Um, I think it was off that article. Off one of the articles we were looking at had a link to the Topless Coed Book Club, and I checked their page out. I put the link on Skype. Right. If you guys want to check that out, that was a group I definitely wouldn't mind being part of. Yeah, I've been scrolling through that. <laughs> All right, so I've got uh, some some scams that I recently that have been going on. In fact, um, and and they're all kind of the same kind of scam. Um, the, this first one is called the lights out fake utility bill collector. And so what uh, what people are doing is they are that they, they will they will choose a mark, and and uh, and I don't know how I don't know how if they're just doing this with. Um, I don't know for sure if they, if they even have the person's name before they call the mark, if they just have a phone number. And so they'll just randomly call somebody and say um, – and tell them that basically that their utility bill hasn't been paid and that they need to pay it. Um, and they'll tell them you know how, how they can pay it. Um, and of course, the, the, the whole trick to, to get this to work is that, the, that the, the person calling the mark has to convince them, one, that they are the, the, the public utility. Two that they that they actually owe money, and three that they have to pay in this obscure way that we can't we can't take their credit card, we can't take you know any information that we need they, they need to wire the money somehow, and they have to convince them that 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 is that that is okay. How different is this from the scammers calling and saying that you've got spyware on your computer? And that they want to take over computer and fix it, or you freeze well, the price. Well, it's 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 the same kind of social manipulation. So it's the same social engineering technique, right? But in that one, I, I you've got you let me on your computer. But it, yeah. the difference is, is that as soon as I get on your computer, I'm going to install spyware on there that needs to be removed. Mm. Right? Well, I remember um, stuff like getting notices from eBay saying um, you're delinquent, uh, you're delinquent in your account, you need to pay up or something like that, or there's a problem. Click on this link to fix it. If right. you clicked on that link, you'd go to an eBay-like page where you'd put in your information, they'd record it and go to the actual eBay and be able to use it. There was a few like that, PayPal, eBay, you know, sites like that where they want your personal information. And basically the best way, if you ever get an email like that, don't go to the link given to you through the email. Go to the real site and um, log in properly. But call Those that. emails are referred to by the title phishing. Right. Yeah. Well, these are these are the same kind of phishing, but only because they're at, it's a person actually doing it. I think that there's probably a higher chance of it being effective. Um, the other one, and the I've actually gotten these calls are the are the fake credit card um, companies and fake debit oh, card yes. debt collectors. So what they what they do is they'll call up and say, "Hey, we're calling about your Chase credit card," and you know, and they'll use a. It's going to be a big bank, right? It's not going to be it's not going to be your local bank, you know, a small branch. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be Chase. It's going to be Citibank. It's going to be it's going to it's going to be a big one because those, are, of course, you're going to your your biggest target areas um, of people likely to have that card. And then they're going to tell you that there's a you know a, a, um, you have the problem with your card. Press one to talk to um you know a um a fraud specialist or something like that and well, now there's another there's another thing there was a rash of this last year that i got hit with it was highly annoying but it was people claiming to be from visa who wanted to thank me for paying my balance 
I have a debit card, not a not a credit card, and paying my balance in such a good way, and they were offering me free gifts. And if I just answer these questions and call this number. So uh, these are they're all related. It's all same kind of social engineering. It's getting somebody to that you've they've got to get you to give up something. And in this case, I assume that they that they wanted my credit card number and that they would have taken it from there and used it. That they would have gotten all the information from me as far as to what was on the credit card. Um, and you know, so and so that's the problem, right? If somebody calls you and asks you for that information, that's that should be your first tip off that there's a problem here. Um, what I like to do with these guys is, of course, get them on the line. And then, uh, you know, then they'll say, uh, you know, uh, you know, this is credit card services, you know, and then I'm like, okay, who am I? And, and I, cause I had the guy was like, um, uh, well, do you have a, do you have such and such credit card? I'm like, I, I might. Who am I? What is my credit card number? Who, you know, and, and then he finally got so mad he told me to fuck off and, and hung up. But these people are, they're easy. That's when you call and ask right. for it to speak to a service officer. <laughs> yeah, right. That yeah, would have done it. It sounds like a you know, psychic scam. Same type of thing. Same kind you of know, thing. Start off with something and say, okay, give us the information so we can, you know, feed it back to you and pretend like we know we're, you know, you know, we knew it all along kind of thing. Exactly. It's, it's the same kind of, the same kind of cold reading techniques, except for yeah. they, you know, they, if they can convince you that you're, that you, they are your credit card company, you're probably going to give them all the information you need. But if, but the way that, to get around this scam is if you make them verify who they are. Right. Because they're calling you. You're not calling them. If you're calling them, you, you know, it, 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 you should have already verified the number, right? And hopefully, and, and, you know, hopefully, you know, you call the number on the back of your card or whatnot. So you know who you're calling. You, and you assume that the other person on the other line is, of course, your credit card company. And I, I suppose that there are situations where you could get routed that they could, you know, the malicious ways to route you somewhere else. But for the most part, that's probably not going to happen. But if you are called by a bill collector, if you're or or somebody claimed to be your credit card company or your utility company, they need to verify who they are. And before you really should give them any information, you should go verify the number for your utility and you should call them back. You should never give information to somebody calling you. Because it is very difficult because they may if if they're if they're really good at this, they may have already done a social engineering. They may have this it may not be it may be a what we more like a hot reading, right? They may already have the information. They may already have your right. name. They may know who your utility is. If the you may be more targeted. If it's a more targeted attack, it's even harder to to, to tell. And it gives the social engineering, the the you know, the attacker that much more the more information they have on the mark, the easier to scam the mark. Right. So pretty interesting though. And so, but one of these is, is a call from, from one of these scammers. And of course the guy's like, Hey, I don't even have a credit card. Next time you call, you should be sure that somebody actually has a credit card on the other line. So, but yeah, but I mean, these, these are, these are actually, it's actually easy to, I mean, you can, if you tell these people, you ask them who they are and they're supposed to tell you who you are. Right. They should already have that information. Right. But even if they have that information, that's not good enough. You should call your utility or your credit card back. Not right. a, a number that. That's what you should tell them. It's like, okay, listen, if there's a real problem, let me check. I will call the company back. And if they seem to have a problem with it, that's probably a hint that something's going on. Right. Or what if I if I if I was really good at this, I'd say, yeah, um, yeah. That that's fine. Um, if you're gonna look the number up, you need to go to this site because uh, because um, you know, for what you need, the information's not on the, our main site. You need to go to this other site. Let me give you this site with it with uh, with my information. Mm. Right. That's what I would do. Right. Be I would I would you know I would already have a site set up. You know, a malicious site with my phone number on it, so they get back to me. So there's so there's another way that you that they could that they could scam you if if they get really sophisticated. Most of these attacks are not that sophisticated. Right. Here is a here's another piece of information uh, from what I was talking about prior to this. I did contact Visa in reference to these calls, and Visa told me that they do not make out calls for anything like that. Well, if so, your credit card the Visa the Visa card company will not make out calls. They do have fraud companies that will call you and let you know that there is fraud on your card. But that but that's the end of it. After that, you need to call your card company. I've gotten those calls before. 
Well, it's usually easy. I don't know. I guess I can spot these coming because it's a robocall too to start with, right? So I answer a number I don't recognize or I, I pick up on a number I don't recognize because I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe it's the kid's school or, you know, uh, if I'm sure it's not the kid's school or something important, I don't even answer. I just let it go to voicemail, figuring that if it's important, they'll leave a message and then I can call back or verify it. But then sometimes I'll pick up and either it'll take a minute for someone to answer the line, right? Because they're just putting out so many calls, uh, you know, com uh, on computer that it takes a minute for someone to catch up to which lines picked up. Or they'll say, uh, who, who am I speaking with? And at that point, I'm done. Right, exactly. That, that's, that's the key. Who, if they don't know who they're talking to, right, based on your phone number, they should have a certain amount of information about you already. Right, or they should say, I'm, I'm looking for so-and-so. They shouldn't say, say who I, I like this? answering these phone calls. Oh, I hate it. It's such a waste of my time. It is a waste of time, but man, I, it's so easy to frustrate these people. You know, it be, if you are, if you, if you are asking them to identify themselves, asking them, who are you? Who are you? That's all you have to, that's all you really have to do is ask them, who are you? Tell me who you are and, 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 you know, and get them to authenticate themselves. Um, and that it, it breaks down right there. So there are ways to protect yourself from this, but I, but I tell you what, these, these are, um, these are the, bottom of the barrel as far as social engineering attacks. They're not overly sophisticated. There are much more sophisticated social engineering attacks that happen all the time and that, that get people. And, and these are the easy ones to spot. It's all, feed, it's all fear and greed. Right. But as always with these things, anybody is susceptible to them. Anybody could be socially engineered this way. Fear and greed are universal in the human species. Right, exactly. If they if they can if they can scare you enough, or or if they could make you greedy enough. But I mean, there those are two ways to do it for sure. Yeah. All right. Are we ready for the next article? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's hear about small businesses. Okay. So this is in the culture and cognition section. Um, NPR ran a story on April 24th about the specialization of small businesses as a survival strategy after losing business to big box, big box and online retailers. So think of craft beer brewers or coffee roasters and as, as an example of specializing small business, small businesses specializing. Um, the business model is to become extremely granular, offering something that the big stores can't. Um, small businesses become local islands of expertise, and then they also capitalize on the online retail market by selling their goods online as well, which I think is really smart to do. So, of course, the model I'm most familiar with is the local bike shop, or LBS. By purchasing bikes and parts locally, you establish a relationship with a shop full of expert mechanics and riders. They tend to have great information about local trails and riding conditions and can offer helpful advice about bike fit and riding technique. Um, some shops even have guided group rides where you can work on your skills and basic mechanic clinics so that you can learn how to fix your own flats in the wild. So I posted a link to my local bike shop for people in the Denver metro area if you're interested. Um, yeah, but I, I think that uh, buying locally when you can and when it makes sense to do so is, is a good idea. You know, it, but I think that that – Let me – sorry, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say that there is a point where that is, is fallacious logic. And there are certain things um, like – and I think that um, uh, it was um, – Brian, what's his name? The guy that we always trash for because he's a felon. Um, Brian Dunning. He he had a really good podcast on this about about the this idea, these co-ops and stuff like that, and how they're actually not um, more ecologically friendly. And there's something about supporting a small business, but there's also a point where it it, it doesn't make sense. Like if you're buying a head of lettuce and you go to the farmer's market. And, you know, and it's trucked in by a local farmer. Well, that local truck isn't carrying as much produce. Maybe it's not as well maintained. And so and so the amount of fuel that it took to get that head of lettuce to your farmer's market might be greater than than the mat than than the truck that hauled in, um, you know, hundreds and thousands of them, you know, maybe a thousand of them from another state. And sure. so that's yeah. actually the it's actually more ecologically friendly to buy that head of lettuce than it is at the farmer's market. Of course, that one that has been trucked into your big box store may have been sitting in a warehouse for quite some time. Maybe. Right. I or mean, maybe there's a freshness good. argument to be made there, but I, I don't think that it's always the case. No, I I've agree. Got, I've got a different point on the big box stores. You said that it, that they are basically looking at aspects of the business that the big box stores can't. Um, can't or it isn't cost effective for them to do so. Uh, I think both probably in some, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times if, if, if a big box store doesn't have something, it's because 
they don't have a market. Sure. And, you know, I guess the question I would ask is how much more expensive is it to go to your local small business? How much more are you going to get charged if you go to your local small business for something? Even if they're the only ones that have it, how much are you, how much more are you going to get charged than you would at a big well, store? So here's I've, what I... Oh, go ahead. I've seen small businesses that can pull it off right and keep the prices low. I've also seen small businesses that do it completely wrong and way overcharge, and that ends up killing them. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of people starting their own little business don't comprehend is you don't need to have everything at super high prices to begin with. You know, you can, you look at the market and, you know, figure, okay, if I sell more at lower profits, I'm going to actually have more sustainability. Um, in fact, My Life Comics is doing a big thing with that. The Jason Street Warehouse store, which I love, um, one of the things they keep doing is trying to figure out how to um, have the most cash income. And he just recently lowered prices like crazy because um, that was the best way to up the sales to get the money he needed to do some expanding he wanted to do. And so all the prices on back issues came down like mad and sales skyrocketed and suddenly he has more income coming in in order to um, do the expansions and some of the stuff he wanted to do. So right there, he said, no, I'm, I, I could um, charge more per item, but um, that's going to take longer for me to make the profit. And in the end, if I, I need the money now, I'm going to do the business better by lowering my prices. I, I think and let me throw out okay. here also, I'm not, I'm not saying that local businesses are trying to gouge people. They may not be able to get items at the same price as the big box stores. Yeah, They're, that's true. They have to charge a higher There's price. There's a volume discount. But I think Hi. where Terry is, Terry's point is good is with the bike shop because there is – when you're buying a bike, there's a certain amount of – when you're buying a nice bike especially, there's certain maintenance that needs to be done. There's a certain amount of customer service that they can provide. You know, Somebody can – you know that, that extra help you know to make sure you're buying the right product for you and some stuff like that that a specialist can offer is is often worth the price oh, yeah. when it's not only that you can make up the cost difference if you're thinking about it in purely economic terms on the other end too so let's say you need a part like a brake pad or a disc rotor for your bike you can get it maybe a couple bucks cheaper on amazon or somewhere else um and then you take it to your local bike shop to install and you ha you're not building a relationship with them, so they're going to charge you full labor prices to install it. Whereas if you buy the parts from them, if you've bought a bike from them, if you've established a relationship, they're likely to give you a break on the labor. And you might make a, it might be cheaper, actually, in the long run if you're not paying the full cost of the labor for that installation because you have an ongoing relationship with a local shop. My bowling balls are that way. I get a, I get a very good discount for my pro shop because I buy so many bowling balls and, and, and so and many peripherals. It's kind of pretty obvious that uh, the 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 big uh, stereotype that uh, big box stores drive small businesses, you know, j just into bankruptcy. That that's not exactly uh, true. Uh, it'll it, because if you look at uh, any big box store, j just look at uh, any uh, of them anywhere, you'll find that they're surrounded by numerous small businesses. Sure. Um, the the key is that they're just not competing directly. So like you'll you'll find a place that sells like uh, uh, bags or something uh, nearby, uh, but it's uh, selling different uh, d different uh, styles and class of bags. You know, like more expensive brands that and brands that uh, like maybe the Walmart isn't stocking. Sure. The other sure. thing, you know, like with my bowling ball example, is that the ball is one thing, right? I can get that anywhere. But you, getting that drilled to my hand, to my custom specifications, and, and getting – and maybe being able to talk to my – you know, my, to, the, to the guy who drills it and saying, hey, I wanted to do this, this, and this. You know, how do we drill this ball to make it – to make – to adjust it, to make it do the kinds of things that I wanted to? I don't – you don't get that kind of personalization at – you know, when I go to bowlingball.com. Right, I can only get that from from the guy who I've been working with to get my specific customizations to my ball. And you can handle his balls. And I can handle his <laughs> balls exactly. Right, so there's, isn't it that he's handling your balls? Yeah, he's handling my balls. Absolutely, big that's, fifteen pounders. <laughs> I but, am I am personally very much in favor of small business, but I'm also in favor of prices that I can afford. I have a wonderful relationship with the with the bird shop. And I'd prefer to go to them anytime we're going to PetSmart Co. But sometimes they don't have what I can get at PetSmart Petco. Same product, but sometimes they can't get it in. 
Well, you know, um, also, it's not just a case of uh, the big guy out-competing the little guy. Um, and uh, let me give you an example of this, because I think it has more to do with uh, somebody uh, being able to offer something that the other person isn't and having a certain advantage in that area. Um, I I've been uh, getting into uh, boarding card games, uh, a lot of different ones, and, and there are a few uh, shops that uh, sell uh, all these really interesting boarding card games uh, in my uh, area. Um, and, uh, I, I, I know several of the people who work there and, uh, I've bought from them several times there, there's, but there's this one, this one guy in my area who, uh, who runs a website and he doesn't have a physical shop, but he's able to sell, uh, sell games at a cheaper price than any of them because, uh, what he does is he, he lives in town and he works in town and you, you can place an order and he does free delivery, uh, in the area. Um, usually next day, he'd, he'd just get off work and drive over and uh, hand you the games that you bought online. And it, it's a, a wonderful deal. And uh, I've talked to people who are working at uh, or own these uh, other shops, and they're a little bit worried about that because he's able to offer uh, these uh, this service at a much better price than they're able to offer with their brick-and-mortar stores that they have to pay extra overhead on. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting because my game shop that I've been going to is um... – they actually, they always the games are always marked down fifteen to twenty percent uh, off of the off of the um, the box price. That black and red. At black and red, and so they will meet or beat the internet price every time. And so they, so they are, so that store is is meeting those prices. But there's another game store that I, that I go to where they they don't do that, and their selection is far smaller too. Black and red gets away with that because their selection is so big. And once again, it's probably that volume sales type mentality that uh, Ian is talking about. But the um, the woman who orders the games takes good such such good care of me. Um, you know, still I feel like I get that personal service, and the games are not more expensive. And so I, that's a place I really like to go to buy them. And they're really smart about, you know, it's also a used bookstore, and they're really smart about what they'll take in versus yeah. because they know what they sell. They know what they can sell. Yeah, absolutely. So they've got a very, very good, solid business model anyway. And they've got a bunch of good people work there that know what they're doing. Yeah. So maybe well, once you, again. I've, I've gotten like uh, at a certain local place, I've gotten a 20 per 20 percent deals off games for, you know, attending certain gaming nights. And um, I, I did the calculations, and even with the twenty percent off, the guy who's doing the online thing is is offering better deals. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, that's cool. Yeah. I was just gonna say that once again, maybe it's not an either or. Like everything we've talked about tonight, there's not one right way to do it. There's but... not one there right, way, one to right way to do it. Way to Absolutely do it. I think not. I think it's gonna be a personal choice for everybody, and I think that I think that everybody's gonna find their level of comfort what they with what they want to do and what they're able to do. It's also about finding the person to service your needs in the way that that best meets them. And so once again, you know, I, I mean, not everybody is going to go to my game shop or my pro shop. Yeah, not everybody's going to want to handle your balls. That's not true. <laughs> everybody wants to handle my balls. But I will tell you this, Brian, that if you bought a bowling ball at Walmart, they could tell you what foods to eat so that your fingers swell to the size that you would need to be able to handle the, the holes in those balls. It's amazing how often people will bring in a ball to the pro shop and say, hey, these holes shrunk. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, Brian, tell us about the killer robots, and are these corpse-eating robots? I put this in here for you. Um, it, the, there's a debate going on in the UN about um, autonomous robots that can kill people yep. and uh, whether this is a good idea or not. I, I will tell you this. I don't know, what, I don't know whether I would say – Autonomous killer robots are a good idea or a bad idea, but if I were an autonomous killer robot, and I am not saying that I'm not, I now know who the person I would take out first is. Let me just say that uh, I want to be the first to welcome our future robot overlords. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, we honor Kiss them. <laughs> I, I think Professor Arkin and Professor Sharkey have just put big targets on their backs for beings that uh, probably strike with a great deal of precision. And yeah, I don't mean, need that large a target. I mean, they talk about the you know the whole drone discussion too, and I think that I mean we we really need to be having these discussions in in light of these new technologies. And you know, but not all drones are bad. Some of them can deliver Amazon products. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, there's a comic that I read, and the and one of the storylines that they've that they've got in there is that the the idea man for this big company they they ask him to to come up with an idea to feed the hungry. And he says, okay, we're going to convert this freighter into an aircraft carrier. 
And they said, you know, how many aircraft can that carry? He says, if conventional aircraft, not very many, but it can carry a lot of drones, and drones can carry a lot of food. Right. Instead of these technologies, you know, the, to go out and, and like, and like, you know, take somebody's head off, instead, maybe they could use those same technologies to, like, shoot a banana into somebody's mouth. Hey, you've been listening to both hicks. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. I heard that same routine like two days ago. Oh, did you? I, I haven't heard it in a long time. It's a great bit. Yeah. So anyway, so I mean, these these discussions are important. I I, I don't know that how. Um, I mean, the idea of an autonomous robot that can that that can how, somehow make the decision on whether or not to kill somebody. That that seems like too important of a decision to leave up to uh to software. I don't. Think I think so. We yeah. would never have software. I don't think that we would ever let that control go. And I, I'm actually kind of sad that when we look at artificial intelligence, the first thing we worry about is why it's going to try to kill us right. instead of what it can do and, and what it may what it may think of that is amazing. They're thinking instead, okay, why is it going to try to kill us? When we all know that the better application is, you know, building an, you know, these, a sex robot. That's what we want. Yeah, we need a sex robot that can also bowl so it can handle your bowls. There we go. <laughs> My bowling sex robot. Okay. Is that domain taken? Is that domain taken? MyBowlingSexRobot.com That's where I'm going to launch my credit card scams from, too. Is there anything else? I have no Okay. I'm not going to say anything else because you're already mad at me. Yeah. Uh, Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. Good night. Good night. Well, if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time you're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. You could always roast us in a voicemail at 720-295-7785. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Sharealike No Derivatives 3.5 license. So, hand it to an unsuspecting friend, but please, just don't change the content. Intro music by Peter Cannell. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.